Well, thank you, Matt. It's always a great honor to be here with you guys and to speak the Word of God. It's really the Word of God that, get, that bestows honor and that is worth speaking from. Um, I'd just like to take a moment to start in prayer and then we'll dive into our topic of love. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And because you love us, we can and we ought. And you empower us to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were paying attention, I've just preached the entire sermon. <laughs> um, I wanted to... Uh, you know, don't you hate when people do that? Let's, let's pray now. And uh, somebody preaches a whole sermon in their prayers. Um, I wanted to preach a sermon because today's topic is love. Uh, every Christmas we go through peace, joy, hope, and love. And the last one right before Christmas is love because the greatest of these is love. And I want to preach 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. And I will indeed preach from 1 John 4. Uh, but I realized I couldn't just take this one verse in isolation. Because anytime you have a verse in scriptures, it's part of a larger ar argument and you need to look at the context. And so I started backing up and I started backing up and I ended up, I need to preach this whole section. So I realize I've only got 15 minutes. This is a little bit of a shorter sermon. Uh, and so I can't get into the whole richness and um, everything that is contained within this passage. But it's really a fairly simple, straightforward message. And as I mentioned, I already preached it in my sermon. God has loved us, so we need to love others. That's what it comes down to. That's what his message comes down to here. And um, I'm a lot more familiar with preaching with, from Paul. Uh, as you know, a lot of the New Testament was written by Paul. Uh, James and John are other people that wrote from the, wrote the parts of the New Testament, and they didn't write in the same way. And something that, the, that they did was they were more Jewish in their thinking. And what Jews like to do within J Jewish uh, literature and poetry and the Psalms is they have chiastic structures. So we, we like to do point one, point two, point three sermons done. What Jews would like to do is point one, point two, point three. Point two, point one, now the sermon's done. And so then it's confusing because I'm, I'm like, where's point one, where's point two? Because he goes one, two, three, and then three, two, one. So if you want to, and as I mentioned, we don't have time to go into all this, but you could compare, for example, um, the, the part we're looking at here is chapter four, seven to 21. If you can believe it, we're going to try and cover all that. Um, but if you compare verse seven, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you compare that to the last verse, verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. You'll see it's basically the same thing restated. And if you look at the next verse, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We back up to the second last verse. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we could go on. Again, it's a little bit more complicated as we get into it. Um, they, they like to work with this structure but then break the rules a little bit. And the ways that they break the rules are very significant. And, and there's connections and interconnections. But um, basically what he's saying is, first of all, we need to love each other. That's where he starts. And then he says, well, why should we love one another? Because God has loved us. And then he goes into great detail about how God has loved us in sending his son. And then he concludes with, therefore, we ought to love one another. So let's get into his argument, um, starting in verse 7. Beloved, we ought to love one another, 
Reason number one, why should we love one another? Because love is from God. Love is from God. It's worth pausing for a moment to recognize not everything is from God. God is the creator of all things, but he also created free agents. And free agents created a world. Free agents rebelled against God. And there's lots of things that, that impact us in our lives that are not from God. Stress and anxiety are not from God because God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. So stress and anxiety aren't from God. Lies and deception are not from God. They come from Satan, the father of lies. Temptations are not from God because God cannot be tempted and he does not tempt. Um, rather, they come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's tribulations in the world. Um, there's stumbling blocks in the world. Jesus said, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, theft, lies, slander come from the heart. There's bad things that come out of the human heart because we are human, because we are sinful and fallen. But these don't come from God. What comes from God? Love comes from God. And in James it says, Do not be deceived, brother, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow or shifting of shadow. And so love is a good thing that comes from God. And therefore, we ought to love one another because it comes from God. Second argument, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. True Christians, we often ask this question, what is a true Christian? Who is a real Christian? And sometimes this question can become kind of offensive or hurtful. You're not a real Christian, I'm a real Christian. And these sorts of controversies have been very difficult throughout the course of the church. John breaks it down for us right here. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He made it even more clear a few verses before that um, John 13, sorry, not in, not in this, in the Gospel of John. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. What does it mean to be a real Christian? It is to love. And especially, specifically, Christians ought to love one another. Because this comes from God, and because this is what it means to be a Christian. And the opposite is also true in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And he clarifies this, as I mentioned, he, he comes back to this point at the end of it, at the end of this uh, section, in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. God is love. And so if we're in fellowship with him and communion with him, we're going to love other people. That's what he's going to make happen within our hearts. Is there... Could somebody get me a Kleenex? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just continue as... Oh, that's perfect. All right. <laughs> Yeah, we did. <laughs> All right. And his third argument here, perfect. I might be needing these later on. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Um, his third argument in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Why do we love other people? Because God is love, because it, loving is the essence of being a Christian. 
And essentially, we love because He first loved us. We are a religion that at the center, at the core of our religion, is a story about how God loved us enough to die for us. And that means that at the center of our lives as Christians, there ought to be tremendous joy and also a duty to love one another. This is what it means. Um, this is what Christmas means to us, and this, this is what being a Christian means every day of the year. So how does God show His love? By this, the love of God was manifested in verse 9. Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. It's because I want to do a point one, point two, point three, because <laughs> I'm not Jewish in how I think. Okay, so uh, we're back to verse uh, 9 here. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Now, I just want to pause for a second to say, love for John is not a feeling. Love is an action. As he says a few verses before, in 1 John 3, 18, Brethren, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. He's not even thinking about feelings. He's just saying, love shouldn't just be a word that you say. Love needs to be actions and deeds. It needs to happen. And so when, when John says, how do we know that God loves us? He doesn't, he's not talking about what he says or certainly not what he feels, but how he shows it. And love, if you really love somebody is going to come out in how you show it and how you act towards them. And this is what we see with God. By this, the love of God would, was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we may live through Him. How do we know about God's love? Because God sent His only Son. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave us the gift of His Son. What could be more precious than that? Than giving us a Son. And I've used this illustration before, and afterwards somebody kind of took me to task and said what I said wasn't very spiritual. But I'm going to say it again anyways, because it's true. That if there was a fire, God forbid, in, in a building like this, and my family was here. I love all you guys. I care for you to some extent. But, hey, I'm honest, okay? Some of you guys I don't know. Um, but if my family's here, I'm going to get my kids out first. And I'm going to push past some of you guys to make sure that I get my kids and get them out, right? I'm, and I think every father and every mother is going to say, we agree with that. We're going to prioritize our own kids to get them out first. And yet God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's not like He had a bunch of them. His only begotten Son that He loved is what He sacrificed for us so that we could live. And what greater gift to give us than life? So that we might live through Him. He has given us the gift of life. So that's the first argument. God sent His Son, Jesus. Well, His whole argument is God shows His love by sending Jesus. Point one, so that we may live through Him. And point two, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the reason I like this particular Bible is because it, it doesn't, it's the New American Standard Bible. Um, your Bibles might have something else other than propitiation. What do you guys have instead of propitiation? Atoning 
atoning sacrifice. I like the big, thorny, ugly words that you need to look up in a dictionary. Um, but the word propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. It means somebody is dying in the place of somebody else. And this was very common within the Old Testament Jewish situation. You sinned before a holy God. You need to be pure. And so you would put your hands on the head of an animal, symbolically transferring your sins to that animal, and the animal would die in your place. It was the propitiation for your sins. You deserve to be punished, but instead the animal is punished in your place. It's a little bit like, we don't do this, right? Somebody would call animal services if we were doing this. Um, but it's a little bit like insurance. You know, your, your teenage son gets in a, into a car wreck, and they don't have money to pay for that, and so the bank comes after dad, who is on the insurance policy. And the punishment that should fall on Johnny falls on dad or mom, the guilt transfers. And that's kind of the same idea that was happening in the Old Testament. And, but that was, the point wasn't that an, an animal had the power to do that. The point was to point forwards to Jesus, who would be the ultimate propitiation for our sins, who would be the ultimate one to take on our sins for us. If you can just imagine for a second what it would be like in the Old Testament situation where you're, you're a sinful person, you're a bad person, but let's just say you're really poor. You don't have money to buy a ram to lay your hands on to take away your sins. You're, you're a dirt poor farmer. The crops failed. You don't have money for this. Imagine if somebody came up to you and said, hey buddy, I got, I got your back. I'm going to buy you a ram to pay for your sins. Wouldn't that be amazing to have that gift? But Jesus takes it one step further to say, no, I got you covered. I'm going to be the ram once and for all to pay for your sins. In this is love that God gave his only son and that the son willingly took our penalty and our pain on him. Isaiah is a book that was written, um, scholars debate, but at least 400 years before Jesus. Isaiah 53 says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So there's somebody coming that's just a really ordinary guy. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourgings we are healed. This is the principle of propitiation, that somebody else took the price, the pain for us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned away to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent, sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? 
It continues, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, that's the idea of propitiation, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure, good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is what Jesus did for us. This is love. Laying down yourself, laying down your life for somebody else. And we could ask of any of us, would any of us do this for somebody else? Would you die for somebody else? It's a tough question that really nobody can answer until you're in a tough situation. And Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, would any of us die for somebody else? Perhaps for a really righteous person, somebody would lay down their life for somebody else. But God shows his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is what love looks like. Because God has loved us like this, we ought to love one another like this. What does it mean to lay down our lives for somebody? There are many ways that we lay down our lives for people, aren't there? It's not just literally dying for somebody else. When, when somebody says, what do you live for? What's your life? What do you do? Well, we have money. We have careers. We have free time. We have things that make us happy. We have um, our houses. We have our stuff. And when we lay these things down, we say, these are less important than you are. If my stuff, if my home, if my free time, if my leisure time can somehow be a blessing to you, I'm going to share it with you. And if you're in need of something that I have, especially if it's something that I have an overabundance of, I'm going to share it with you. And what better gift is there than giving our time? Because ultimately our life is made up of hours, days, minutes, seconds. What better gift is there to give than the gift of time? And so John wraps up. We love because he first loved us. It's not as though we came up with the idea, right? It's not as though we're the hero of Christmas. Look at us, we have faith. Look at us, we have love. The hero of Christmas is God, who loved us enough to give us his own son. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's strong language. But it's true. God is love. So how can you say you love God, but you don't love your brother? For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, love one another. Because God has loved you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to send us your Son to die in our place. Thank you that you sacrificed your life for us. And I pray that you would enable us then to sacrifice our lives for other people. And to love in the power that you give us. Uh, to love those that um, you put in our way, that you surround us with. And especially the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Pass the time back over to Matt.